If we can't talk to each other, we're not gonna make it. Sometimes I feel like I, I've been on more than I can chew. Most of the time, I work in a glass jar and lead a very uneventful life. A face full of glass hurts like hell when you're in it. That's weird. That glass looks half full to me. Eating glass. Eating glass and staring into the abyss. Glass? Who gives a shit about glass? Who the fuck is this? It's kind of part of our culture to eat glass. I'm gonna get some safety goggles next time. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to Chewing Glass, the show where we talk to Solana developers building in the Solana ecosystem. Today we have Matthew Lim, aka Pencil Flip. Matthew is actually one of the young bloods in the Solana ecosystem. I think I met him maybe uh, two or three months ago. Um, he was doing some really cool threads on Solana. So uh, I reached out, we set up a call. He really kind of like dove into everything that has been going on in Solana and produced some really cool content. Everybody's been watching and uh, just really uh, interested in what he has to say. So uh, with all that, Matt, welcome. And uh, how's it going? It's good. Thanks for having me on here, Chase. No, this is great. I know you and I have been trying to like plan this conversation for quite a while. We just kept pushing it back. Things happen. Crypto happens fast. So it's, it's, it's great to have you today. We'll just go ahead and jump right in. Um, one of the first things that I think is probably really cool, especially somebody coming from Web 2 into Web 3 is really just uh, what's your what's your background? Um, really uh, interested to hear. Yeah, so I guess before I kind of dove fully into Web3, I majored in computer science at Caltech, and then I went to go work at Facebook for a few years, or Meta now, I guess. And so there, I was working on a few different teams. First, I worked on Integrity, building out Facebook's content moderation platform, which is you know the biggest in the world. We have like tens of thousands of content moderators, so kind of building out the tools and services for them. After that, I switched over to ARVR, where I was helping build Ray-Ban stories, like the Ray-Ban glasses with the camera and a voice assistant. And that was a lot more like low level protocol work, basically working on the communications protocol between the glasses and your phone. And then finally, I was at Facebook NPE. It's kind of like an incubator inside Facebook, a bunch of like smaller teams working on more zero to one projects outside of Facebook's main family of apps. And for that, I was doing more full stack web development. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. What languages are you actually working in whenever you're working on those projects at Facebook? Yeah, so I guess like it varied per team. When I was doing more like web stuff, the back end is in Hack, which is like typed version of Facebook's typed version of PHP. Front end is JavaScript or like Flow, typed with Flow. And then when I was working on ARVR, it was basically just all C++. So C++, is that the only low-level language you would work working in at the time? Yeah, at Facebook, it's the only low-level language I worked with. Obviously, Facebook, Metaverse, lots of things going on there, crypto. So how was that? How, how was your experience working at Facebook? And then to follow up, how was your experience working on uh, Facebook compared to what you're doing right now in Web3? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think to, to just in general, how I liked working at Facebook, I think... It's kind of like in the beginning when I first came into the company, I was learning a ton, like 
basically experiencing for the first time building products that like people are using at scale. Um, and then I think over time, my learning curve kind of like got flatter or, you know, like I stopped learning things as quickly and then stopped learning as much, which is a big part of the reason why I eventually chose to leave. And that was like, even though I was switching teams pretty frequently and like switching to different tech stacks, at the end of the day, you're kind of still working at this really big company. And so back when I was at Facebook, there wasn't as big of a focus on like the metaverse and all that. Although AR VR like was a pretty big focus. And in general, I'm pretty bullish on AR VR. So it was really fun to work on that stuff there. And I'd say in terms of the differences between kind of working there versus now kind of doing some of my own stuff in Web3, <laughs> now I'm just moving a lot faster. Like Web3 in general moves so fast. Like, you know, there's like new stuff happening every day, like huge things happening every day. Obviously, on the regulatory side, things move a little more quickly, too, because Facebook is bogged down by all these laws and GDPR and the FTC consent order. And, you know, in Web3, most people like I think we're ahead of the regulation and like the regulation kind of needs to catch up to crypto. Um, so, yeah, just like the speed at which things happen, I think is a, is a big difference. I was a little more surprised whenever I heard you say that Facebook is slowed down by regulatory things. And I, I, I guess it kind of took me back a little bit for a second. I was like, people just ignore those for now until there's actually something going on. So it, it was pretty funny to hear that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really cool. You enjoyed working at Facebook up until that, uh, the point where you ended up plateauing, uh, as you say, like technologically. Yeah. I think there's like a lot of pros and cons of, of working there. Like, you know, it is really cool to kind of see how one of the biggest companies in the world runs thing, just to give you an understanding of like what the infrastructure looks like at that level, how things are like organized. Um, and also like when you build stuff, you're kind of shipping it to millions, if not billions of people, which is just like a really cool thing. Um, but on the other hand, right, it's you're at a big company. So the overall impact you have is a lot smaller. And working at a big company, there's a lot more processes in place too. So it's a little harder to like, get things done because you have to go through maybe multiple layers of people or multiple layers of processes. Overall, I'd say there's like definitely good and bad parts, but um, I did enjoy working there and I learned a, a lot of stuff. The layers involved and the middle management and like above middle management and below all the different levels of management, like in those corporate, I mean, I, I came from the corporate world. Um, I'm so glad I found crypto because that was somewhat the bane of my existence, to be honest. And like, I, I was, I, did a tweet the other day, just really thinking about that. I was saying that if somebody like tried to sit me down and show me their spring MVC app, I literally might just die um, <laughs> by having to deal with it. So it's the experience going from that world and coming to Web3 has been incredibly great for me personally. And it sounds like it's the same for a lot of other people. But to your point about seeing how an organization like, like Facebook operates, and being able to execute at scale like that is pretty incredible. And having having people from that industry come here, hopefully what they learn is how to leave the bad and bring the good into crypto, because there's probably tons of lessons learned from Facebook, that how things could be done better in crypto, but also how to like keep the things that were not super efficient out of there. But it, it's all it's all very interesting stuff to me. So moving on, I would say uh, the next thing is how did you get started in crypto in general? Like you could start with, with how you got found out about crypto, when you found out about it, and then like how you actually ended up starting to get involved more on the, the development side of things. 
obviously like the first thing I heard about was Bitcoin back in college and I kind of read about it and I was like, oh, this is cool, but I didn't like pursue it that much. And then maybe fast forward to 2017 when CryptoKitties was a thing. Again, I was kind of like, oh, this is cool. And I got a CryptoKitty or two. And then well, I Well, that's nostalgia right it. there, man. CryptoKitties. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. And then at the beginning of this year, uh, like one of my best friends was basically telling me about NFTs. And then I kind of started like looking into it more, also based on all the activity that was happening. Um, I actually did try to find my CryptoKitties, but I forgot my seed phrase. So, <laughs> you know, it's gone forever. Well, at least you didn't uh, give it away to somebody else who ended up stealing them. So, I mean, maybe that's a little bit better. Yeah, that's true. That's that's gone forever. I've never given that back. Um, but anyways, yeah. So at the beginning of the year, I started looking more into NFTs and like following things more closely. And then it was only really until a few months ago, though, maybe like September, I think around September, where I really started like going in really deep and learning and reading and also building things and trying to figure out like what is Web3, like how does crypto work and like what kind of stuff could be built on it. What did you think about NFTs? Did you actually see value? And then when you started diving in, like how did that kind of change your mind? A lot of people are like immediately get it. And then a lot of people are kind of like, well, it's kind of like weird. And I was actually more on the latter side. I was like, huh. I mean, I got <laughs> the fact that, okay, it's like, you know, people collect stuff and now you can collect digital stuff. I think that's kind of like the most straightforward explanation for me, but I was still kind of confused about like, okay, why are people like paying all this money for it? Like in general, it was a little confusing, but as I kind of like dove into it more and like both started using the products and like talking to different artists and creators and like developers in the space, it started to become like kind of like more clear what the utility was and like why it's actually, you know, a really awesome like technology for, you know, both artists and collectors. So yeah, that's how it went as far as like NFTs go. Yeah, for me, I was never actually really skeptical. I, I just wasn't completely um, sold on on them as as what they were. Like the art thing was great. But then as as time went on, I'm like, there's communities forming around this. You now have this visual identifier on social media platforms. It's where before maybe it was a sports team. You see this guy with this with his shirt and he likes the Chicago Bulls just like you do. So now you connect. Simply scrolling through your feed on social media like Twitter, you see uh, an SMB or you see a Thugbirds and you're like, oh, we're friends now. Like it's the community building aspect that has been pretty incredible to me. And then now beyond that, we're starting to see things with utility like Genesis Go and, and different things like that that are trying to take it to a different level on, on how these things can be used. But it's it's been really cool to see. So when you got into those NFTs, what what was your next step in terms you, you, you dove into? You didn't go directly into Solana, obviously. You, you started playing around elsewhere. Yeah, and I guess like just to your point about the whole community thing, I think one thing, I forget who said this, but someone was talking about like, you know, people have really expensive paintings in their house and the point is kind of just like people can look at it, but you know, realistically, you probably only have like 10 or 20 people over to your house or I don't know, you know, 50 people over to your house every year, as opposed to having a Twitter avatar and like literally thousands of people can see that. And so that's kind of like, well, yeah, like actually these NFTs, you know, more people are, they're much more visible to many more people than like traditional art just hanging in your house. And yeah, as far as getting into Solana, I first started on Ethereum just because that was, you know, that's the biggest one. It's the most resources. It was kind of like the one that 
like the people I knew were working on. And so, yeah, I did crypto zombies and I started learning solidity. And then I eventually ended up building this pixel art marketplace uh, on Polygon, like a layer two for Ethereum, where you can draw and mint pixel art on the website. And so I was doing all that kind of before I got into Solana. Now that you've gone through all the uh, experiences of Ethereum, at what point in time did you actually find out about Solana? Yeah, I think I had heard of it kind of when I was exploring Ethereum, kind of like I knew what it was. It was another L1, but I hadn't really dove too deep into it. And the point at which I started looking more into it is when my partner and I, Catherine, we wanted to do an NFT collection and we were exploring which blockchain to do it on. And so that's when I kind of started looking into Solana more seriously because we didn't want to do it on Ethereum. It's too expensive. We didn't really want to do it on Polygon either because there's not a great community on Polygon as far as like NFTs and like used as art or collections. It's more about gaming. And so even though it's fast and cheap, we felt like Solana would be better because Solana is also fast. It's also cheap. And it also has this really thriving NFT community. Yeah, you were an Ethereum developer. Then the next thing is you're like, okay, Solana's the one. It's cheap. It's fast. It's it's what we want to do. You started diving in, and then where did you start, and what was that experience like? I think for me, my approach was, and this may be different for a lot of people, but basically, I was like, okay, if I want to build on Solana and really dedicate a lot of time to it, I want to understand it pretty well. And actually, like, have justification for me spending all this time on it as a like as opposed to just relying maybe on like oh it's market cap is going up like you know the, right. the coin price is really high like I want to know the tech behind it and like know why it's supposed to be better and so at the beginning I spent a lot of time just like reading through the white paper which actually is not that detailed uh, reading through like the medium <laughs> articles about like you know all of Solana's different technologies and how it the makes core it innovations. Yeah, the core innovations, exactly. Um, also reading through kind of like Shinobi Systems, which is like a validator on Solana, has a really good reference on proof of history and like how it ties together with Solana's proof of stake. And so really just trying to understand like how the blockchain actually works, how it's different than Ethereum, and why the architecture allows for like higher throughput, cheaper transactions. And that was really important because I wanted to understand that if I was going to spend like all this time actually building on top of the blockchain. Yeah. So you really kind of deep dove into this uh, just to give a quick TLDR on kind of the things that you were doing. Like you did some, uh, you, you did some diagramming around accounts. You wrote some threads on um, PDAs, program derived addresses. You've, you've done tons of deep dives into a lot of things like these exist in the documentation, but they hadn't really been broken down into like these bite-sized digestible um, chunks that, that are easy to understand for newer developers or web web two developers or people who really haven't taken a dive into blockchain or an Ethereum developer, because lots of people try to do these one-to-one -one comparisons for accounts and the programming model. And there really just aren't that many. So it's, it's really important. And, and we all, everybody that's probably watching this, that, that knows who pencil flip is, is super appreciative of that. But through that process, like you have a lot of experience with lower level languages. What was that experience like for you? Like it's, I'm assuming you enjoy doing those sorts of things. So maybe do, do you, would you call that eating glass for yourself? Or do you just like enjoy this so much that 
it's not really that for you. This was just a fun little project to understand how Solana works. It's an interesting question. I think, <laughs> and I think Paul X was talking about this too um, on his, on the podcast you did with him. But I think the hard part is not really learning Rust. I mean, I think it, it can definitely be maybe more difficult, especially if like maybe you've never programmed before, then you're probably going to have a hard time learning Rust. Oh, yeah. But as like, you know, if, if you do know other languages, then picking up another language, at least enough to write some basic programs is not too hard, especially because, and Paul X also mentioned this, there's no like multi-threading in these programs. You don't have to deal with race conditions, right? Most of it is kind of like, serial logic, you read some data, you write some data, you do some business logic. So the, the Rust part is not super complicated, especially because Anchor kind of provides you this very nice framework within to operate. Yeah, like the C++ stuff I was doing at Facebook was way more, way more painful because we were <laughs> doing a lot of multi-threading. You have to like do all this address sanitization, thread sanitization to catch all these different, like weird racing additions, which, you know, I haven't done in, in Solana yet. So working at Facebook the, is also uh, chewing glass as well. <laughs> Yeah, there are definitely some engineers there <laughs> that are they're chewing a lot of glass. So yeah, basically, I was just going to say, like, I think kind of understanding Solana's programming model and the way accounts work and the way that programs are structured was a little more difficult than the language part. How did you kind of work your way through that um, whenever you were trying to understand these things? Did you just kind of take it one step at a time? Did you have a game plan or did you just dive in randomly all over the place because one of the biggest challenges right now currently with Solana is we're starting to have a lot more content thanks to people like you and Paul X and, and, and many others who are creating lots of content but there's no clear path to understanding those things and we're doing something at Solana Labs and my DevRel team has been working on like structuring the actual path for understanding things and the order of operations in which to learn them because that's the biggest challenge. The information's out there, but people kind of have to cherry pick when and where, but they're like, it's a lot easier if somebody says, this is the order that you learn things. It's a lot more helpful. But then there's the engineer, some engineers who are open to, to just straight up diving code, but like, what was your method for, for really understanding these things or just, you just kind of went along with whatever happened on the day? Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a good question. And I think there's like a lot of valid approaches. So mine isn't like the right one, but basically the way I usually like to do things is I kind of like read enough to get a basic understanding and then I'll try actually building something. And then I can kind of just like reference things that I don't understand or like things that I need more information on as I build the thing. And so specifically, I think Nader Dabit's tutorial was really helpful. I kind of followed that to get some basic scaffolding and like a basic app up. Also, Brian Friel wrote a bunch of really good guides and kind of like writing the front end and writing the Solana program. And so I kind of like followed those, built something of my own. And then as I'm building stuff, I would like maybe modify it. Or maybe like I ran into something that I didn't understand. So then I would look at the documentation. One one note too is that for Solana, it's really important to be able to actually understand the source code and like look at the Solana program library or look at Metaplex's code because yeah, things are so early, it's not really well documented. So I think that is kind of just like something you'll have to do if you want to build in the spaces and get used to reading the source code. Yeah, I 100% I agree, but there, there are definitely different types of learners out there. And I think we can still kind of make that a little bit easier by 
going to that source and pulling out some of these smaller little snippets of code and kind of like walking through it instead of just saying, hey, here's a massive program. You can just walk through this yourself. Not everybody's used to learning that. You know, Web2, like especially in the younger generations, like we're in like snippet heaven here. Like if it's not a snippet, then I don't want to touch the thing sort of, which is kind of why we, we started to create the Solana cookbook. It's never going to solve all of your problems, but what it will do is give you some really good references to to find it. Maybe it's not because you're finding out how to do it for the first time, but because you don't want to have to dive that code again. And like, here's a reference to something very normal that you would have to do on Solana and have to go back. So that's, that's kind of what we're trying to solve. But it's always interesting for me to just ask these questions because one of my parts of my job as developer relations is to just ask developers what what sucks and and what's good and do more of the things that are good and do less of the things that suck and try to just continuously iterate and improving on this. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't think the status quo should be like, oh, everyone has to look at this, this source code. <laughs> and I think like the cookbook is really helping with that. Like, obviously, it'd be preferable if you could just like look at some docs. The interfaces are like cleanly documented. Like, oh, here are the accounts that get passed in. Here's the instruction data. Uh, we're just not at that state yet. But yeah, I do I do agree with you. Like it can definitely be improved. And I think you and like all the stuff you're doing and everyone else is doing with the Solana Cookbook is a big step towards making it easier to onboard. We've already kind of discussed like what was what were some of the challenges, but if you had to pick the most challenging thing through your experience, which one of those would it have been? Like what which concept um on Solana was the hardest to just fully wrap your mind around and be like, okay, I get it, but it took me two weeks or however long it took you to figure it out. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if this was like maybe the most, actually, yeah, I think this was probably the most difficult and also the most important was just understanding how the account model works. Because after you understand that, everything kind of like follows after, like PDAs, it's kind of like the same thing, except it's like it's derived from some seeds. So understanding how the account model works and like basically how the program state is separated from the program execution, which coming from Ethereum was a little confusing. I think just understanding that was the most difficult, but also the most important because yeah, it's kind of like underlying the entire programming model, the way accounts work. I think in software in general, and, and I'm guilty of this as well, is that a lot of people actually come just really looking for shortcuts. And it's always important to know which pieces are the hardest. Once the hard stuff is understood, the accounts model, the PDAs and the CPIs, once you just can grasp these concepts, then your life gets exponentially easier because everything else is easy if you if you just buckle down and make your way uh, through that. And I think another key thing is like, you don't necessarily have to do the rest part of things in order to get involved is like in the Solana, right? Like you can be writing front end code and just interacting with existing programs. Although you still probably have to understand a little bit about how it works, but you know, like the build space course, a lot of it is just interacting with existing programs and writing JavaScript or TypeScript. And that can also be like a very, or a little, at least a little bit, easier of a way maybe to get started initially. Yeah, I think that highlights the point that I've been trying to reiterate for a long time is that you don't need to know Rust to build on Solana. There's so many projects out there, or even if you just want to play around, but there are projects that are just hiring specifically for like the front end DApp side of things where 
it's just very similar to talking to a centralized API, as long as you know how to use web3.js or any of these other um, front-end clients. Mm -hmm. You don't need to know Rust to build on Solana, because the thing is, is you start on the front-end building and talking to a, a blockchain or a centralized database, it's very, very similar. Then once you understand how it works and communicating using the RPC client that defines all of the methods that use to talk to those blockchains. After you get that, then you're like, okay, now I want to write my own program. At least that's the hope. And BuildSpace has done an amazing job. Uh, they've had, I know at least over 10,000 people have done that getting started and, and they love it. And you mentioned Nader and he also has done an incredible job with his tutorial. That's one of the most popular for sure. How quickly did you jump from doing the Rust bit moving to Anchor or did you kind of just like do that almost immediately? Yeah, I think when I was getting into things, Anchor was already like pretty popular. And so I started out by writing Anchor programs, like kind of like toy Anchor programs. Yeah, this was actually a big question for me when I was starting out was like, should I learn Anchor first? Should I learn like kind of how to write programs without Anchor? And I like remember asking some people in the Discord and like getting their opinion. And looking back at it, I think... I mean, either one is fine, to be honest. I think it's easier to start with Anchor, obviously. But I do think it's super important to be able to understand programs written without Anchor just because so many programs are written like that, right? Like the Solana program, library programs, a lot of them aren't written with, with Anchor, although they're Anchor wrappers. Or like the Metaplex programs, a lot of them are not written with Anchor. You basically need to be able to understand those programs if you're doing you know, coding on Solana. And so you need to be able to understand programs that aren't written with Anchor. As far as writing programs, though, I think just default to Anchor. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think as Anchor matures, I know the Anchor book is now out and uh, Paul mm -hmm. X has been working on that, which is going to be incredibly valuable to, to that. Like there was mostly minimal examples in the past. And like, just like Solana Labs has been working on our things, like Anchor has been really cranking up the heat with getting out content and making it easier to onboard to there. I think this year is going to be huge. Um, I, I said it the other day on Twitter that I think that in one year, probably less than that, Armani says two weeks, whatever that means, but um, that the developer experience on Solana is going to be completely unrecognizable as it is today. Like people are not going to have to really ask much questions. We'll get to a, we're probably going to be at a place where you would have to be at least a junior developer who understands programming concepts could come in and within um, a certain amount of time, maybe, a, maybe two weeks, maybe a month, be able to self onboard to Solana without having to to just constantly ask questions. Like that's the ultimate goal. Like the ultimate, my ultimate job is to put myself out of a job by making the developer experience good that there's no need for chase anymore. I think that's a very hard job to accomplish. So I think your job security is still <laughs> is fine. <laughs> no, I agree. I always make that joke, but the reality is, is like, it's, it's somewhat of an unachievable goal to an extent and mm -hmm. it'll probably never achieve it. But if you, we just keep striving to get there. But yeah, I'm super excited for, for this year and to look back on this year, next year, to see this conversation, the last conversation, all the things that have happened and like how easy it is for some new developer to, to basically onboard to Solana. So, and again, this yeah. is thanks to people like you and Brian and Colin, all these different guys who are, are just altruistically contributing to the cookbook, writing their own content. 
I could not have scaled myself in developer relations without that. It would be 100% impossible because by the time that me as one person writes a piece of content, it's outdated in like a week. So <laughs> that's kind of that's that's kind of how fast things are moving. Yeah, just to move on, like this 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 whole series of chewing glass is really to have the conversations we've been having, like what was your experience like and and how you got into it. But what I what I understand is even though that you started out as a as just a noob engineer on Solana, you actually have recently um formed your own company on the Solana blockchain and we're not going to talk about it too much, but I will definitely let you kind of talk about what you're building. Uh, Catherine and I, Catherine used to be a designer at Instagram. We are starting this product and this company called Form Function. And basically it's the best way for independent creators and artists to like make a living off of NFTs. That's kind of like the longer term vision. The shorter term, we're just building the best marketplace for high quality one of ones, uh, high quality one of one art, and for these independent artists and creators on Solana. And so you can kind of think about you know other marketplaces like Magic Eden and Solana as more catered towards collections, right? The things most people are buying on there is like um, you know collections like Dgen Apes or Solana Mucky Business or you know et cetera, et cetera. And it's not so much focused on these more independent artists or photographers who kind of do their own art. Um, they don't really have basically like a first class seat at those, uh, at those platforms. And so we really want to build a place where those independent creators can be really showcased and their high quality art can be displayed and featured on our platform. Like you said, the Magic Edens and the Salon Arts and um, all the other ones out there. I don't think their platform specifically is is for collections, but the that is kind of where the world is. And Olaplex and, and Metaplex's kind of spin-up auction platforms are doing that. But to, to have a marketplace that's almost, who knows, this, this is like a an art gallery kind of, of one-on-one creators who can come in here and create their own art. And it doesn't have to be this big marketed thing. You, people can just... They're, those collections are not, they're, they're community builders and some of them have utility, but this is like just kind of shining a spotlight on these creators that have kind of been gatekeeped out of being able to get involved because of lack of technical knowledge. And like, that's how it's been. And I think this is going to, I've seen a couple people talk about it uh, and on the Twitter sphere lately about like 2022 being the year of creator NFTs or like one of one kind of NFTs for creators. And it's super exciting. I've seen some really awesome art out there that I have really kind of been eyeing and there's so many ways to do it. Like I've seen like augmented reality pieces of NFTs. I've seen people doing paintings or photography and it's, it's, it's happening more and more because tools like it sounds like what you're building are going to enable that to be a lot easier to happen. Yeah, really excited for all the one of one stuff that's been happening on Solana. I think it's been growing, it's going to continue to grow. And really a big part of what we want to do is just improve Solana's maybe like culture or almost like reputation. Because I think sometimes people look at Solana and the NFT ecosystem and they see these like bored ape derivatives yeah, or they yeah. see these like, you know, soul punks. And it's kind of just like, well, is everyone on Solana just copying the popular projects on Ethereum? 
And that's definitely not true. Um, like there are a lot of awesome collections that are Solana native, but we also want to make it like a blockchain that's known as well for this really high quality art like Ethereum has become um, and have it be associated with that because that's good for artists, it's good for collectors, it's good for the entire Solana ecosystem. Um, and it also gives these artists who maybe they don't want to list on Ethereum for environmental worries, or maybe the gas fees are too high for them. It gives them a really good place to go and like sell their art that otherwise maybe they wouldn't list at all. Yeah, the, I, I do have some opinions on that. And like, it's definitely the case that there, there were some collections that are, that are just straight up clones. And a lot of people outside of the Solana ecosystem, they aren't really following it they look in there and they're like, hey, why do you guys just keep copying everything? But if they actually were in the kind of circles or bubbles that a lot of us are in, they would realize that the majority of these communities are also on the same page as them. They hate it as well. There's actually campaigns that campaign around these collections that are just straight up clones telling people, please don't buy them, please don't buy them. The reality is I have a, maybe it's a conspiracy theory, but I feel like people who are doing these sorts of clone things, they're, they're not necessarily Solana natives and there's no way to actually verify that. But mm -hmm. these are grifters. They are traveling around, seeing where the money's flowing into, and they're doing whatever they can as quickly as possible to, to hopefully capture some money and then they disappear. It's happening on near as well. And I have, and I, and I also spoke about this. I have a lot of kind of sympathy and empathy for near because it's happening there. They're those clones are moving to them. It's going to happen. People are going to end up losing money. And the best thing that near and or Solana still can do is to educate your community as quickly as possible, because otherwise lots of money is going to be stolen from people when, when these rugs are happening and a lot of them are. Mm -hmm. And if you, and if you see a, a project that's a direct clone of something and you think, oh, this is going to be great because I can get it for cheaper. It's not going to be great. I can promise you that it's going to be the opposite of great. It's going to be very, very bad for you. So if you're listening, don't buy clones on any blockchain because it's not going to work out. So that's that's my yeah, little I totally uh, agree with everything you just said. <laughs> that's my <laughs> that little was a spiel. Great spiel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um so this was a great conversation and and to kind of whole round the whole thing off. Mm. What would be your advice to people to future builders on Solana whether it be how they learn or what they should do or how what where they should focus their time like what would be the one thing that comes to mind to you right now that that would be your greatest advice to, to people looking to get into Web3, blockchain, and Solana? Yeah. I mean, so first of all, I love what Paul X said here was basically like, get started, dive in, you know, build something, read something, try something out, kind of just like get started. Um, I think that's super important. And I would kind of add on that, uh, get involved in the community. You know, the Solana community is really welcoming and everyone's like, I think everyone I've met is super nice and friendly and like wants to help. And that's kind of like one of the best things you can do both for the community, like give back to the community and also like the community will give back to you. You can ask for help in these discords, like people, if you DM them, people will probably help you out. Um, and then it, it obviously helps when you're building your own things. Cause then, you know, you have a network of people to ask questions to, to bounce ideas off of, et cetera. So yeah, I, I think it's a great time to do it too, because Solana is still relatively small. It almost feels like a family where like a lot of the people who are really into it know each other. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a really awesome place to, to be. Um, so that would be kind of like 
one of my key pieces of advice is just get involved in the community, make some friends and, and build some cool stuff. Yeah, that's amazing advice. Just go build something and share it with people and, and just have a good conversation and send DMs to whoever you can find because they're, they're going to answer. This is a very strange time where you can DM a CEO of, of a protocol or whatever, and they're going to probably respond if it's somewhat reasonable and to have that accessibility is, is a pretty powerful and don't just sit back yeah. and submit resumes everywhere and like think that that's going to be the best choice because I get a lot of messages to myself saying like, hey, nobody's mm -hmm. responding. I'm get involved, like DM people, strike conversations. Pe like people are literally getting hired to, to really amazing companies simply just by being consistent, persistent, building things, being involved in a discord and just if anything, just start answering questions and helping people. Somebody's going to pay attention to you and it's, it's going to, it could change your life in, in a very short amount of time. So. Yep. Totally, totally agree with everything you just said. Matt, AKA pencil flip. It has been great. It's been about a month and a half since we've been talking about this. It finally happened. And I think uh, the listeners are really going to love it. So thanks for joining, man. Like it, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Chase. It was great coming on and chatting with you. Always enjoy talking salon and everything with you. It's always a ton of fun. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>